The scripture today comes from the second chapter of the book of Haggai, beginning with verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider, from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. This is the word of the Lord. As you find your seat, Haggai chapter 2 is where we are today. I'm tasked this morning with preaching a bit of a different sermon than I normally would. It's different because uh, when I have the opportunity to preach, I start out with a catchy story that draws your attention and, and then ties that to the text of Scripture. But today the sermon is just a bit different. It's different because I'm preaching someone else's sermon. And in doing so, I'm not meaning that Jerry wrote it and then gave it to me or I got it from somebody off the internet. I'm I'm preaching Haggai's sermon. The book of Haggai is a series of four sermons preached by the prophet in the late 6th century B.C. And this is the third sermon in a book that's only two chapters long. He proclaims the sermon in what we see is just 10 verses. And this sermon, by the end of it, my desire is that it will cause you to sit up straight and take evaluation of who you are and where you need to be. In the book of Haggai, so far we've seen, as Jerry has preached, if you've been here any of the last few weeks, that Haggai is calling for the people of God to put him at the center of their lives, to put him first. And there's a reason that he calls them to do that, and that reason is simple. They hadn't done it. You don't get called out for something unless the thing you're getting called out for needs to change. And without going through an entire survey of the Old Testament, which would take entirely too long this morning or even this week, I can assure you that the people of God had turned away from God being the center of their lives, and they needed a word from the Lord And this morning I'll ask you, are you sitting here watching online, listening in, and you're pleased with where you are? 
Or is there something in your life right now that you know needs to shift and change? If so, we're going to see in these 10 verses that God is calling you to change. Not tomorrow or next week, but God is calling you to change today. Right now. As I said, I'm preaching his sermon, so I'm going to give you his sermon. There's two points to this sermon today, and they're quite simple. The first one is this, the illustration. Haggai starts with an illustration, and we see in the first four verses that he used an illustration to get the attention of his people. And we do that, if you're a parent, you do that with your kids sometimes. You, you can't just simply explain something because they're too young, so you use an illustration to get a point across, and that's what he does. So here's what Haggai does. He goes to the priest, and the priests are the ones who represent God on behalf of the people, and he goes to them, and he asks them this odd question to me and you. It's, it's an odd question, but it's a question they would have no problem answering. That question is this. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the answer the priests say is no. Of course not, Haggai. You know that we know the law of Moses. It does something that touches the holy meat doesn't become holy. What does that mean? In Leviticus, God gave Moses the law, and in that law were these laws of sacrifice and the things that must be considered holy and the things that are not to be considered holy. So I'll give you a snapshot of what it's talking about. It's talking about if, if a priest is carrying some kind of holy meat in his garment and, and the, that touches then his shirt and then his shirt touches something else, does that something else become holy? The answer is no. Holiness doesn't get transferred from something holy to a shirt to something else. Holiness is not transferred so easily and they answered that question correctly. So then he asked the second subsequent and contrasting question. He says, then Haggai said in verse 13, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priests say it does become unclean. So wait a second, Haggai, if, if I touch something holy and then touch something else, you're saying that that other thing isn't holy, but if I touch something unclean, I immediately become unclean. And the resounding answer is yes. I'll put it in COVID terms for you. If I put hand sanitizer on, it probably cleans my hands, but then if I shake your hand, it doesn't necessarily transfer the cleanliness. But if you just have a real big sneeze in your hand and I walk up and I shake your hand, whatever came out of that nose, I got. <laughs> the uncleanliness is transferred and cleanliness is not. So Haggai proclaims the judgment on his people, and this is what God says. Then Haggai answered, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. God proclaims a judgment, and he does so not by saying, so it is with my people. He's saying, so it is with this people. These people who have chosen to, to do their own thing, God says, you people or this people. They're doing what's, what's right, 
because they're rebuilding the temple, yet God said every work of their hands is unclean because though they perform these acts of service to God, their hearts are far, far, far from God. Therefore, what they're doing is not good. They couldn't even do good things right because their hearts were unclean. You say, Adrian, that's one thing for those people. What is that mean for you and me? It means this, becoming unclean is inevitable, but becoming clean is impossible. We're gonna become unclean, but we don't just become clean, right? We don't catch holiness. You don't catch righteousness, but you sure do catch sin. We have to be taught to do what is right, yet, what doing what's wrong comes all too easily. Our, our son, Lucas, is three and a half, and he, he loves to play and play and play, but there's one thing he loves to do, and that one thing he loves to do is make a mess. And, and I say that, and you're like, you know, if you, if you had kids, you're like, yeah, all kids like to make a mess. No, he actually says, I'm going to make a mess. He enjoys making a mess. So much so, I had this illustration prepared, but then it was perfect last night. He said, buddy, it's time to go to bed. We start walking him to bed. He looks over at his little toy area, and that toy area is just a small little area, and he's got a rug on it where he can drive his cars. And, and uh, he looked over there and looked back at us, and he said, tomorrow I'm making a mess. And we said, no, 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 we're not. And, he, and he, he, he reasoned. He said, no, just on my rug, on my rug there. And we said, okay, you can over there. Um, he loves to. He's got a shirt, and he's really owned the identity of that shirt that says mess maker. Like, that's what he does. And, and he loves to do it, and he, and he loves to, to do that. Here's the thing. We can clean the house, and we spent the majority of yesterday morning doing so, and we can clean the house, and it looks good. And, and, and no, no exaggeration, 30 seconds, it's a mess. And then even on a good day when he is compliant, it takes 20 minutes to clean up. My point in saying is this, it's, it's one thing to make a mess and it's really easy to make a mess, but it's a difficult thing to actually clean that mess up. Becoming unclean because of sin is inevitable. You and I are sinners we make a mess and we can do it just like that. But then how in the world do we become clean? You see, God's people were called to be holy. Holy, that's a word that simply means set apart for God's purpose. There's a lot wrapped up in it, but it means set apart to, to be noticeably different. God's people were called to be noticeably different, yet they were living a life with no regard for the things of God. Is that you this morning? Are you sitting in this place or sitting on your couch online appearing to be doing what's right with your Bible open, yet perhaps your heart is far, far from God? You walk into this place week in and week out because it's what you've always done, yet you don't know God more now than you did five years ago. Jesus had a little something to say about this. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name or do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. 
You see, the problem wasn't what the people were doing. The people were doing what's right. They said, did we not do this? What did Jesus say? Depart from me, I never what? Knew you. See, doing a religious act and and doing what looks and appears to be right doesn't mean that your heart is set and fixed on Jesus. Just look at all the Israelites throughout the whole Old Testament. God is with them, constantly telling them exactly what to do, and they still turn their hearts from him. You know, many of us, we know the right things to say in here or in our life group, but we, we live in a way where something else has the affection of our heart and he is nowhere, God is nowhere on the radar of our minds and our hearts. Are you in here this morning living for what you desire with no regard for God? If so, there is no amount of religious activity, no amount of Bible reading, no amount of time you can spend in prayer that will take care of your uncleanness. God won't have this. He has no desire for people who go through the motions and for people who put on. He desires a heart that's longing for him. That's what God desires. The Lord took no pleasure in the rebuilding of the temple. These people were were rebuilding God's temple. Like that's the most noble act you could do. Yet he said their hands were unclean because they had sought after other things to be their God for centuries. And you see, we like the Israelites have a long history of God providing for us and as soon as he provides, we turn to something else to to bring us comfort or significance or satisfaction or value other than him. Right, God provides a new higher paying job for you not only to be able to take care of your bills, but then for you to also be able to have some things that you want, yet you only become obsessed with working more to make more. Or God gives you a way out of that draining relationship and that relationship has drained you for years only for you to run to the next one hoping that it'll fill the void that's in your heart. Yet during all of this, maybe you go through the motions of church and life group or even serving because that's simply what you do. Until the spiritual condition of your heart is resolved, no amount of religious activity will be acceptable to God. None. Puts us in a rough spot, Adrian. I would disagree with that. It puts us in an impossible spot. If becoming unclean is inevitable and becoming clean is impossible, is there any hope? If I'm looking at you this morning, not talking about Israelites, but if I'm looking at you this morning and saying, for you to become clean before God is impossible, then the natural response is, then then what in the world am I sitting here for? You see, if rebuilding the temple could not ultimately fix the problem of their hearts, because it didn't, because not long after this, the temple was completed. The temple was completed sometime after this and the people still had the same issue and you and I do too. Sin makes us unclean. So if becoming unclean is inevitable and becoming clean is impossible, then what must it take? It takes something impossible to solve it. Look at Hebrews 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, you could say temple, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, by means of his own, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. In other words, if, if, if that only does so much, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from good works to serve the living God? You see, Jesus did for you and me what we could not do for ourselves. Your sin and mine deserve the punishment of eternal death, yet Jesus took that by becoming our eternal sacrifice, this says, suffering our punishment, substituting his life for ours, taking our punishment for us. You see, Jesus' disciples didn't even know how to be saved. They look at him in, I think, Matthew 19 and say, who then can be saved? What did Jesus say? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are what? Possible. But see, if Jesus simply died, if Jesus simply died, that, that's a nice act on his behalf, but that doesn't do for us necessarily what we need. It doesn't complete it. Why? Because here's where the impossible became possible. Not only did Jesus suffer for your sin, taking it on himself. Three days later, Jesus, after he died, did something that none of us can do, something that you and I cannot do. He did something impossible. He came back from the dead and he rose to defeat eternal death and hell because you and I couldn't. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus made what was impossible possible? Aren't you glad today that despite your sin and failure, Jesus took that on himself on the cross so that you wouldn't have to? Aren't you glad today that even though you couldn't measure up and, and you've messed up your entire life, Jesus became sin so that you who are sin could become his righteousness and be forgiven and made free? The song that we sing says, Jesus paid it all, all to who? Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, it's unclean, yet he washed it white as pure snow. Jesus makes you clean. Jesus does. It's not religious activity. It's not walking into church that makes you clean. No, it's belief that the Son of God gave his life for you and that his resurrection gives you promise of a life to come. It's that belief in faith that you are forgiven and you are set free. And I would say this morning that we cannot take this for granted. We cannot take this for granted. It's easy to get into a ritualistic rut and to, to have, turn our relationship with God into something else on our to-do list. But when you look back on your life and what it was like and then you see the day that Jesus saved you and you know now what your life is like, you, you almost can't stay in your seat because Jesus sets you free and he makes you clean. And here's the thing this morning. Maybe you're sitting here for the first time. You've walked in our doors and we welcome you. Or you've been in this place for five years, coming every single Sunday. But by the Holy Spirit's impression on your heart, you realize in this moment that you don't know Christ. You maybe do some good things and you don't do as bad as other people do. But you don't actually know Jesus. I would say today that you don't need to walk out of this place remaining unclean. You can be clean today. You don't have to keep going toward that sin that keeps you unclean. You can be cleaned up today. 
Becoming unclean is inevitable. Becoming clean is impossible. Yet Jesus makes you clean. So Haggai uncovered and laid bare the need for something. The need for something that you and I must do. And that's our second point. The application. What is it the people must do? The thing they must do is repent. Sermons are only theoretical unless there's something that moves us to action. And this is what Haggai says. Now then, in verse 15, consider from this day onward. The word onward is interesting there because it literally means look forward by looking back. Look forward to what your life will be like by looking back to how it has been. How had the life of the Israelites been? Look at 16 and 17. God said, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck you in all the products of your toll with blight, with mildew, with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. The people had hoped in something else. And because of their sin, their crops were cut by 50% and more. They toiled to see their crops only be able to produce so much. God used the supernatural east wind to, to, to burn up the crops, yet also used moisture at the same time to cause mildew on those, and then hell would rain down from the sky to break the crops the people had planted. Yet even then, as God was getting their attention, using whatever he must to get their attention, they didn't turn to him. So I would ask you this question this morning, what will it take for you to turn to God? God is, is saying to his people and he's saying to you, what will it take for you to turn to me? What's it gonna take? If you're in this place and, and you're at a, a place of humility before God, then, then it's not gonna take as much. If you're sitting in here with a hardened heart because of maybe a circumstance in your life or something that, that you don't want to see happen or you're fighting against something that you know God is wanting for your life, God's gonna get, if you're his child, he's gonna get your attention. What will it take? How long will it take? I'll ask you the question that Haggai asked them. How, how's that life been working out for you? The life of chasing after sin or chasing after something else. How's that life been working out when you disregard the path laid out for, for you in God's word and you choose your own? Are you experiencing the abundant life only found in Jesus or are you looking for the next best thing, hoping it will do for you what it will not? And then in verse 18, he says something. He says, consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, he, he says, there's a, a specific date I'm asking you to consider, and that is today. So I will say to you, consider from the 30th day of the first month of January, first month of, which is January in 2022, I'll ask you this question. Where were you a year ago? And where do you hope to be a year from now? Not, not asking you to evaluate tomorrow or, or the next day. 
evaluating who you were, where you were, and by God's gracious hand, what you need to repent of on this day. Today, will, will you consider the kind of husband that God has called you to be to, to care for and lead your wife and be the father of your kids that, that only God has called you to be for your family? Today, consider the, the wife and mother that, that God has called you to be and again, has only called you to be that for your family. If you're a, a boss in the room and, and you have people who work for you, how are you stewarding that gift of influence and leadership that God has given you? Are you stewarding that for God's glory, for the betterment of people? Consider this day. And then he finishes up with one of the most grace-filled verses in all of the Bible. Start of verse 19 says, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the wine, the fig, the pomegranate, the olive have yielded nothing. All those things, the, the seed, the vine, the fig, the pomegranate, the olive tree were all necessities in the Israelite culture, things that they needed. And it said it's yielded nothing. Yet, verse 19 says, but from this day on, God says, I will what? I will bless you. You've, you've done nothing good. Yet God in his grace says, I will bless you. You've been, according to this, only bad, yet God says, I will bless you. Do you desire to, to live in the blessing of God? You, you do nothing to earn it. But you can sure turn your back and say, I don't, I don't want it. Today, will you choose one small step in your life to say, you know what, today, today's the day that I'm making a shift. You might, you might leave from here and go home and, and say, you know what, over this next week, I'm gonna read the entire Bible. And I'm gonna be honest with you, that's not realistic. If you don't have kids, you don't have a job, and you don't have TV and internet, it's still not realistic. I'm not asking you to go make some big change. I'm saying, will you leave from this place knowing the kind of husband that you've been and, and today, not put it off, have the conversation with your wife that you know you need to have? Or maybe you, as a parent, have experienced so much impatience with your kids. Will you pray the bold prayer of saying, God, I, I'm asking that you allow me to be patient with my children? so that they can see the grace that you've shown me in, in their life through me. What's the small shift that you need to make? This week I, I was, I'm, I'm doing a, a, a Bible reading plan and honestly it's, it's, it's through the New Testament in a year. I, I, I didn't wanna go for volume and quantity so I, I went New Testament for a year and it's about one chapter a day is all it is, and, and I've read through Mark, and this week I started the book of Acts, and I actually got behind by a day, and, uh, and, and one morning, I sat down early in the morning, 
and I read uh, Acts 1 and Acts 2. And when I did, there was a theme that, that just was resounding through there, and it was when Jesus said, but you will be my witnesses in the world, essentially, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He promises the Holy Spirit, then Acts 2, the disciples are, are praying, and what happens? The Holy Spirit rushes in like a wind. And then Peter preaches, and, and 3,000 people on that day get saved. All of that is, is wonderful. And in that moment, in the chair I was sitting in, in, in my home, I, I realized something. And that something was this. I've known Jesus for a, a good amount of time. I've, I've, I've studied scripture for a long time. I've been to seminary. I, I know all the things you're supposed to know from there. But I don't know that I've, except for one, one or two times in my life, ever honestly walked by the Spirit. You say, Adrian, you know what? You, you, should have, you should have already been doing that. And I would respond, I, I know. I know, but I, I'm, a, I'm way too practical in my thinking sometimes. So, so I just see what's in front of me and I, I just do whatever I think is necessary. And I've got a, a new journal that I bought this year that's a, a guided prayer journal. And, and I begin to write in there, God, I know theologically. I, like, like I know the Holy Spirit lives in me, but I don't know that I have ever experienced, except for maybe a couple of times in my life, what it means to walk by the Spirit. I know you're there, but I don't necessarily have a, a sense or desire, a real one, or I would have sought it out, a desire to experience your presence. And I, it was a simple prayer. I, 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 I didn't pray anything. I wasn't asking for some rushing wind to, to come on. I was asking for the heat to just come down a little more. Like I wasn't asking for anything crazy. I just, God, I want to experience you. So about, about an hour later, I was in the gym at about 6.30 and, and I'm working out and I'm in the middle of a set and I'm listening to a song that we're going to do here pretty, pretty soon and it's on the name of Jesus. And I'm listening to that song, I'm singing it, the, gets to the middle part that's called the bridge. I get to that part of the song and, and I'm in there and I'm singing out loud for one, which is probably throwing a few people off. There wasn't just a handful of people in the gym. I'm singing out loud, I didn't realize it because my earphones have the noise canceling, so I didn't know how loud I was. And I, I'm in the middle of a set and just begin to just weep. I mean, cry. I'm, I'm talking like, like I've cried maybe four times in my life, you know, like, like, like not a whole lot. And I begin to cry. And I remember the old story from, from D.L. Moody when he was walking through the streets of Chicago. And he said he experienced the presence of God so much that he was like, God, I, I don't know what to do with myself. I, I don't know that I had that. But I remember taking my headphones out and saying, God, I don't know what you want me to do right now. But I know I'm experiencing your presence at this moment. There was no denying it. It's not because I'm some super Christian. No, you've heard from the story that I just told you. I'm definitely not. It's because God was willing to say, you know what? There's a small shift you want to make, which is just to, to walk by the spirit that's already living in you. I'm going to give you just a, a sample of what it could mean to experience me. And then I did. Now, the day since, haven't all been like that? No, and I don't expect them to be because that's not real life, but God was waiting to answer a prayer that I prayed when I was willing to make a decision. So my question to you is, what is it that you will shift today? 
so that a year from now you can look back and say, man, my life is different today because of one small thing that I did on the 30th day of January, 30th day of January in 2022. What is it that I need to do? And then a year from now, when you're evaluating, you look back and say, God has worked in my life because of that small thing that I did. It's waking up five minutes earlier to have a little more time in prayer. Or one that, that I, I follow and, and I follow not, not perfectly, but almost always. And that's just, I try to leave my phone in another room when I'm having my devotion in the morning. So I'm not tempted to, to just get on my phone and look up the, the scores from the day before. What's one small thing that you need to do? Here's the thing. You don't do it so that you can become clean because if you know Jesus, you've already been made clean and set free. You then do it so you can just draw near to him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now and we thank you for the fact that though we are unclean people, you have made us clean, Jesus. You have set us free. So I ask right now, for the one in the room who does know you, Lord, I pray that they would live knowing they've been made free, not trying to earn anything, not trying to prove to you anything, but living out of the knowledge that you have made them free. And Lord, on this day, they would change whatever they must. Lord, and experience the blessing that you're waiting to give out just like you did to me on the 27th of January, Lord. You're waiting to give that out. So, Lord, I, I pray for them. And, God, secondly, I pray for one or many in here who do not know you. Lord, you, you can, can set them free today. You've already done the work. They just come to you in, in faith. So, Holy Spirit, apply this message as only you can. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.